Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, the podcast that brings practitioners, leaders, researchers, and big thinkers right to your device. Today, our topic is creating a culture of courage. So this topic that is certainly current and needed if we are going to effectively serve all students, consider diverse opinions, and ensure our traditionally disenfranchised students are included in decision-making. And our guest today will provide us with insight as to how leaders and individuals can create that culture of change. Yes, that's right, Jamie. And, you know, typically we think about two kinds of change. One is technical and the other is adaptive. And a technical change for a school would be something like changing their LMS system. But an adaptive change means changing the culture, your way of thinking. So both kinds of change are hard and difficult, but it is that adaptive change that is really difficult. Technical change can usually happen fairly easily, but adaptive is tough. And today our guest, Liz Hammer, is making a career out of helping people to learn to go through those adaptive changes and to take on uncomfortable conversations and moving forward in this area. I think it's great to have someone like Liz on the show because we can hear maybe some how-tos, how we can lean into these very difficult conversations. So welcome, Liz. We are so happy to have you here on our Linked Up podcast. Thank you. Yeah, so Liz, let's start off by you telling us just a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came into being in the business of helping leaders go through these difficult changes. This is an area most people are afraid to step into, and you're just jumping in. So tell us how you got there. Well, yes, thank you. And um, also, my dog is in here making noise. So this is a definitely work from home. Yes, this is the world we live in. <laughs> if I need to, to take him out, let me know. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I accidentally got into this work. Um, I, I think that uh, I, I'm going to just say, like, even though I'm here talking about culture of courage, I am nervous <laughs> about this. And so I think that this is uh, who I am is somebody who has always been afraid to do things and have just had to repeatedly get outside of my comfort zone. And through that, I've learned that courage is like a muscle that we can strengthen it, right? And so I have learned how to help other other folks start to do that as well. I love that you say that it's been something that's been uncomfortable for you because I think that gives people that are listening um, maybe the courage to try it themselves, knowing that this wasn't always something that you did easily. Oh, yeah. Um, right now in the work that I do, um, in the last yes, few years, I am in front of audiences of up to 500 people sometimes. And when I started this work, just thinking about being in front of an audience would, would make me break out in hives or I would throw up. So like just, I, I have had to get over every fear that I've ever had um, in the last 20 years probably. And, and so I think that 
that gives credibility to what I do and what I bring to people. They can see it in my face. They can see it in my voice. That that courage is a choice for me. Absolutely. How do you, how did you start to become comfortable with change and <laughs> and doing this? Yes. Um, I think it's just that, that repetition. Um, I had to begin getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, and um, I was forced to choose or to change, I think. And I think I say it felt like I was forced, but really everything is a choice. We get to make these choices when when life throws things at us. Um, but uh, years ago, I had a phobia. Um, I was practically agoraphobic. And just one day I decided that was I was gonna face that fear. Um, and so constantly facing that and challenging it and capturing it in my mind and figuring out um, what I needed to do to not let fear be the boss of me um, and not be owned by fear has helped me strengthen that muscle, has helped me just repeatedly brush up against my comfort zone. And I think as a person who is naturally stubborn and maybe a little defiant, I don't like being owned by fear. I don't like having fear be the boss of me. Um, I don't like having the regret or the disappointment of letting it keep me from living a full life. And so I think it was just that repeated um, choice to, to, to choose courage over comfort or choose courage over fear, because I wasn't even comfortable at that time either. When, when you have a, a lot of anxiety or a lot of fear, um, that's not comfortable either. We just pretend it is. You know, it's funny because when you talk about the regret part of it, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? Because you've got the fear and then you, you, you expect to overcome it. And if you don't, then you look back with regret and that is such a horrible emotion as well. Um, so you even use the hashtag, fear is not the boss of me. I love it. Yes. Me too. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I started that, um, but it, I'm pretty transparent in my journey um, through my blog and through my Facebook that uh, I've had to overcome fear. I've had to face fear, a lot of fears over the years. And um, also have recognized that it is a conscious choice for me. And I think that it can be a conscious choice for other folks as well. Um, some people don't like to believe that they can choose <laughs> courage over comfort or that they can choose to not be afraid of life. Um, but I do think that it's a choice that we have to make. Yeah, so what are some strategies then that you helped you that you can actually offer to others for those who need to get past that, that fear and take on these uncomfortable challenges sometimes? Yeah, so I think something that has helped me, um, and this is, I've read about it after the fact through um, Tara Moore's book, Playing Big, but also had recognized that there are two types of fear. And mm -hmm. one is protective and the other one feels more like excitement, right? One, one is more of that like innate fight or flight or freeze, something is wrong, we need to go into hibernation or run. And the other one is kind of like excitement, like that top of a roller coaster fear. Like so, anxious, right? Anxious, Anxiety yeah, is fear like, with excitement, right? I think a lot of times we do two things. Like we don't acknowledge that we're afraid of things, but then we also try to hide that we're afraid of things, like even when we know it. So there's this weird, uh, maybe internal conundrum, um, competing values or something. But um, several years ago, I read the book Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And that really helped me understand that there is some fear that's helpful, right? And there's some like innate fear that we need to listen to, but that also typically fear is a liar. 
um, uh, nothing I got that from Gavin's book, but like from my own experiences, I realized everything that I ever was afraid of um, did not come true. Like 99.9% .9 of the things that I feared did not happen when I started to face those fears. And so I think just having people understand that, um, you know, there are those two types. One is protective, one is more excitement, but both of them can keep us, they kind of feel the same and they can keep us small. They can keep us from playing big. They can keep us from living life fully, um, showing up authentically. And so what I help folks do through my leadership coaching and through the work that I do is help them start to assess what is the fear trying to protect you from? Is that a real fear? Is that something that we really need to be afraid of? Like, so something may happen. What's the probability of that? What's actually the probability? And then what actually may happen, right? And our fears are different. Sometimes we have a fear of being seen or a fear of failure or a fear of judgment from others. That one can really immobilize us. Um, or a fear of loss, loss of friends, loss of relationships. And so um, I ask folks to do a little, run a little risk analysis, right? What is right. this fear? What's it trying to keep you from? What happens if you remove that from the equation? What if we, what if the worst case scenario happens? Then what's the worst that can happen? Right. The probability is of that happening, right? And so we kind of run this little risk analysis. And then I think one of the important pieces, and we know this through leadership as well, uh, when we talk about doing leadership for adaptive challenges, we have to speak to the loss. So mm -hmm. if we forget that step, it's it's really hard to get past. So we have to acknowledge the fear. We have to like name that elephant in the room, acknowledge the fear, and then speak to the loss. If there is um, some potential loss there around status or um, worth, you know, we, we probably aren't going to actually lose our worth, but sometimes we fear that like the, the way people will see us is tied up in our self-worth. Right. Even those technical things have a loss. Like I mentioned earlier, changing to an LMS to a different system in a school district, there's a loss there because I was an expert at that one. And now I'm just a learner. And so I've lost that expertise. Yeah. You, you just spoke exactly to one of the, like the biggest loss that I see when I'm working with folks is um, the loss of comforts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, yes. We, we get uncomfortable if we have to go back into that learner mode for the most part. Right. Um, I sometimes joke now that I've been getting so uncomfortable for so long, I don't have a comfort zone. And occasionally I still find the edges of it. Um, but the edges of my comfort zone are so, so wide now um, because I've repeatedly chosen to, to get uncomfortable. But for a lot of people, that loss of comfort, the loss of being the expert, the loss of knowing what they're doing, um, even on those technical pieces can be hard. And we have to speak to that as leaders doing leadership. And I think your point earlier about the reflection that you did and you, you did, you know, you reflected after the fact, right? So not just doing a risk assessment before, but you in trying to overcome risk looked at it and said, well, most of the time it didn't even come true or yeah. even so what? I was so afraid of this, but now I'm here, big deal. And letting others actually go through that reflection is probably a great part of this process. Definitely. When I help and walk folks through this process um, or, or travel alongside them through this process, uh, that's the part where 
you see them becoming even more courageous when they can see that in hindsight, okay, what I totally feared did not happen, wasn't even close to happening. Um, then they're willing to take a little more risk. They're willing mm-hmm. to to lean into that discomfort a little more. And that's where we can create some magic and where the innovation happens. You've been helping people through some really difficult issues um, that are facing our entire society. I know you've been very involved with the LGBTQ community and you've been helping leaders to kind of lean into this work. Um, how, how do you get leaders to, to lean in? Yeah, really, it's the same process. And I think in addition to those other pieces, the, the looking at it, the acknowledging it, the running the risk analysis, speaking to the loss, I think one of the things in this arena that I help folks with, um, and I don't even like to use the word help because really I just, you know, like act as a mirror sometimes, ask the questions to, to help them realize, you know, they have this power in themselves. But what we what we work on is finding what is more important than fear to that person. Like what are the values that are competing here that are keeping you small and quiet? And what are the values that you have um, that, that will help you get past that? Is it love? Is it justice, right? For each person, it's a different value, but like identifying that for that person is really important and then helping them understand that they can choose to feel the fear as that excitement rather than that protective immobilizing fear Uh, because they really do feel so much the same and that was something I realized when I had to start doing a lot of public speaking I wanted to just crawl into a blanket fort not go into any public space I was so nervous I was so afraid of being seen I was so afraid of judgment I was so afraid of messing up oh my gosh we're always so afraid of messing up aren't we and, um, and so I realized like, okay, it felt immobilizing, but also I could pretend like I'm at the top of a roller coaster and that it's excite- exciting, I'm still nervous, but it's a different kind of fear. And so helping people choose that, like this is exciting because we're gonna experiment, we're gonna try new things. We're going to see it as um, an experiment that doesn't have success or failure, just more data to collect afterwards, right? You talked a lot about feelings here, and I wonder, after you lean into something and overcome a fear, are there some feelings that come afterwards? Every single time, this is not my notes, vulnerability hangover, every single time. What is that? What's a vulnerability (laughs) hangover? I believe that Brene Brown is the one that coined that term, and um, it is that, like, you know, we're afraid to be seen or we're afraid to speak out or whatever. Um, and then if I get into that space for me. Um, if I do that, if I speak up, if I challenge that little voice in my head, that's telling me to stay quiet. Um, even if I have a positive impact and I know I have, I have that moment afterwards where I really just want the blanket for it. And I'm just like, why did I do that? Oh my gosh. So many people saw me. So many people heard me and the, that vulnerability hangover is real that, um, and, I've also learned that I don't die from it. And so it helps me get stronger as well. Yeah. So let's do a real world example. Okay. And in fact, in, in, in my ch- uh, children's high school, um, kids come to the administration all the time with ideas for clubs all the time. And they say, let's do it. And they find a way to do it. Um, they have a gay straight alliance. Now we don't call it that anymore. Right. We call it um, yeah. gender and sexuality alliance. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So still GSA. Uh, so that makes it easy too. 
Um, but okay, so let's say that kids came, you know, to the administrator to ask for this. Um, you know, in, in our situation, we do that. But let's say that this is a very conservative uh, community, and um, they uh, kids come and they they want to start this. So yeah. how would you help? Well, perhaps maybe the students even for wanting to come and do this. But then right. also, you know, as an administrator, I know the kids need the safe space. I want them to have this, but I'm afraid of the community. I don't know how to broach this. So what, how would you coach them through the situation? I think that there are a couple of things here. Um, I'd love to talk about like what I see from the balcony when I do this work and then like what mm -hmm. I'm doing on the dance floor, right? So from the balcony, I understand um, and this is a theory of change that I've formulated doing this work. I understand that we're all a product of what I call the four E's, our environment, our education, our experiences, and our exposure. And so anybody that I work with, I understand that all of those four things go into their belief system, the way they behave, the way they think about things. And so I have an opportunity to, I can't change people's environment, you know, where I'm in the middle of Kansas. Um, and so there are some things that can form that form who we are based on our environment, right? But I can help with the education, the experiences, and the exposure piece that can also help people shift their their thinking on things. Um, and so when I'm from that, that's the kind of that balcony view. I like take that like this is what I know about people, right? And so in the moment, if I am to meet with an educator or an administrator or the students, um, what I need to figure out is what piece of those four E's do they need some support with? Which tools do they need? Do they need the education? Do they need some experiences or exposure or all of it? Mm -hmm. um, I find that the education piece is really one of the most powerful when we can give them some of the data and some of the resources and the tools, the information for why these GSAs are important, why it can help change a school climate to make it safer for all students, not just our LGBTQ students. Um, when they have this information, then they feel empowered to be able to choose courage over their comfort, right? They feel what, also I walk through with administrators all the time, that risk assessment. Okay, so this is what you know your students need. We know we want to create that safe, inclusive environment for our students. And let's be real, there's going to be some backlash from the community potentially or from some parents, right? So what is that going to look like? How are we going to address it? What are you going to say to it? And just giving them some of that support to have those conversations, to do that risk analysis, to run through those worst case scenarios, um, to it helps them feel prepared and empowered to have those conversations. And again, with them, what I typically find, I'll come back to them a month later or something and say, so how did it go, right? Um, what kind of conversations did you have? Sometimes they will call me and, and walk through some of the conversations with me if they need some help in the moment. But most of the time, I never hear from them again until I follow back up with them. And they're like, oh, you know what? It was like totally not as bad as I thought it would be. Like nothing really happened. Or we had this one parent complain a little bit, but I just told them we're creating an environment safe for all of our students. And that includes theirs. And, you know, it wasn't as big of a deal as we thought it would be. Yeah. And so I think that's where that piece comes in again. Fear is often a liar. And we fear, um, we fear things that we think will happen that usually don't happen. Yeah, I mean, I love that because, you know, you have to do the assessment and then you also have to differentiate between the types of fear, um, but then using your four E's. I love that um, as a tool, really important tool. 
Yeah, I think that for me helps me provide empathy for others as well. Um, because we do in this work, there are, is a lot of opposition. And I feel the same about opposition, right? They are a product of their environment, education, experiences, and exposure. So how do we educate and empower them to protect and support LGBTQ students as well? Yeah, that fifth, that fifth E, right? Empathy, I guess, is the foundation. Yeah. And that is what is really driving everything. Yeah. I love the framework. I think you could use it personally, couldn't you? If if you were having something you needed to lean into and you were nervous about it, you could use that framework and the risk yeah. assessment mm -hmm. and ask yourself those questions. Absolutely. And I've noticed, I think everybody has their own way of handling those situations for risk assessment. I mean, I've actually written out like pros and cons papers sometimes on the sheet, but sometimes it's just, you know, the, I just need a little more education on a topic, or maybe I just need to have a phone call with a friend who can, um, you know, be my cheerleader to help me go into a, a courageous conversation. Um, and I think the, the, there are several quotes that um, I have carried with me as well um, on the, book that I'm working on will have a different courage quote or a quote about fear, overcoming fear at the top of every chapter. And there are three here that I really just love. Um, one is Franklin D. D. Roosevelt, courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And I think that that's something I definitely work with administrators on. I send them that quote all the time, right? Because they are afraid sometimes mm -hmm. and our students are afraid and our parents are afraid but they get to choose what else is more important than fear to them is it that love is it that justice and for me personally um one of my personal mottos that will eventually be tattooed somewhere on my body is where love exists fear cannot um that mm -hmm. mantra is what helped me get on stage what helped me do presentations every time i needed to lean into a courageous conversation I just had to remind myself where love exists, fear cannot. And so if I walked into that space with like love in my heart and it, it, it just helped flood me with that courage and um, the choice that fear is not the boss of me. Yeah. Um, and then Brene Brown, of course, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you cannot have both. And again, yes. you know, that courage is not the absence of fear. It's, yes. It's, it's, not it's important fearless. to to be outside your comfort zone. It helps you to uh, avoid being paralyzed by fear uh, and instead let that courage move you forward instead. I love yeah. it, I love it. Liz, it's been great to hear from you today. And I, I think what's really resonating is that you are someone that has really taken this on personally. You have overcome your fears and you know what that feels like. And you know that it's not easy, but you have given us great tools today that we can use as we move forward. And I love the quotes that you are become kind of mantras for you. You mentioned a book. Are, tell us a little bit about that. So um, that's another piece that I definitely would say that fear has been the boss of me in some areas that I don't like it, um, is being seen on that bigger level. But I've been working on a book for a while, um, just because people are constantly asking me, how did I get started in this work? Um, right. Why do you do this work? And it's a really long story. <laughs> and and um, it, it's about all of the times that I've had to choose courage over comfort or had to let, to make that conscious choice to not be the boss of me. 
And so um, the, that's the book that I'm working on. Uh, right now it's gonna be called Fear is Not the Boss of Me. It may not that title. For another five to 10 years, like it could be a really long time <laughs> before I can get it done. Um, but it is something that, um, it, it feels like the next evolution. I've had so many friends say they want to read more about this work, about why I do this work. Um, and a lot of folks are inspired. I said somewhere um, yesterday, courage is contagious. And mm. so yes. when they see somebody can over, somebody normal like me, just an everyday person that I can choose courage, then it helps them choose courage as well. And then it helps the other people in their lives choose courage. And when we see that start to expand, you know, it becomes those ripples of hope. Um, one of the quotes that I've read at the end of every single presentation I've done for the last seven years is a Robert F. Kennedy quote. And it says, I'm gonna paraphrase too to make it less gendered, but each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, they send forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring, those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Oh. Usually I cry during reading that quote <laughs> because I have seen it happen in the hundreds and actually at this point thousands of educators that I've helped train how to do this work, how to lean into courage. I've seen those ripples being created and the change that's happening in the schools and in the Kansas climate. And it's so amazing to be part of that culture of courage. And you never know how far those ripples go. That's how right. no, no. you may affect. Yes. Yeah. The, the, before the organization even got started that I'm, I'm doing some of the work with now, um, just me starting to speak out on, on Facebook about some of these things. I got a message from somebody in California um, who, who sent me a message about how as an adult male, um, the work that I was doing helped his mother um, accept him and love him for the first time in his life as he was as a, as a gay man. And, um, and I would have never thought, and that was in the very beginning before any of the rest of this work. So we don't ever know the ripples and we don't ever know how far that hope goes, but it, it really is powerful. It is powerful. And I think that's part of the process in trying to do this uh, risk assessment, right? And looking at the pros, this is a pro that they may not see at the beginning, but knowing that it is a possibility that these ripples will grow is, yeah. a, is a great thing. Yeah. And I've definitely seen in schools that have courageous leadership that are willing to take risks and create that environment, that brave space where people are able to take risks and be innovative, then those, those cultures are unstoppable. They're incredible. Um, teachers clamor to be with those administrators. And um, I just, you know, I want to see more leadership than like that in schools, in businesses and organizations and churches all around. Well, we're hoping that your message is going to be helping others to uh, bring forth this courage to make those needed changes um, outside of their comfort zone and others. Uh, so for the betterment of, of everyone. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. This is so helpful. Um, and we'll post some of your tips also in our show notes uh, because I think they're very uh, helpful, but they are practical as well. So they'll definitely be uh, super guidance as well. 
Absolutely. And where can people find you online, Liz? <laughs> so I don't have a lot of public <laughs> um, pieces yet, but I do, I just am launching, because I've been doing this work for a while, um, mostly word of mouth, it's starting to grow and get bigger. And so I'm launching my business, which is Center of Daring. So folks will soon be able to find me at centerofdaring.com. And um, the website's not up yet. (laughs) Maybe by the time you have this podcast out, it will be. Um, But um, also I'm on Facebook publicly from my blog page, which is Liz Hamer, Living Love Out Loud. Mm. Um, I don't blog as often as I used to or as I would love to. Um, but it might be something I want to start working on again. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for helping people to lean into these tough decisions and tough leadership pieces that they need to do. And, and maybe not even leadership, just lean into things that they fear. Yeah, I think that is leadership, though. I think that is. I think anybody, I believe really strongly um, as an alum of the Kansas Leadership Center who has the philosophy that anybody can do leadership, you know, it doesn't have to be an authority position. It doesn't have to be a title that every single person can do leadership. And I think leaning into that discomfort, choosing courage over comfort is leadership and anybody can do it. You're right. Very important concept. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.